Are you ready to make 2017 the year you transform your life? You can wait for something to happen, or you're actually going to decide to go, go home after this weekend to do something about that. We all know that we have a very, very limited amount of time on this earth. So let's not have repeated years. Live your own life. Make the choice, make the decision for your own life. Fear is where you develop courage. There's a moment going, holy crap, all right, I'm gonna do this now. The Wellness Breakthrough is coming. And so you actually have that choice every single morning, every single day, every single moment to decide whether you're gonna live it to the fullest or not. Join myself, Marcus Pierce, and the Wellness Guys, Damien Christoph, Lawrence Tam, and Brett Hill for two nights and three days of transformation at the Country Place. Ten acres of breathtaking rainforest in the Dandenong Ranges of Victoria, February 17th to 19th. It's each and every single one of you are going to support each other in your journey, whatever that journey is. Couples discounts available, limited spots remaining for all information and to watch the spine-chilling video, go to thewellnessbreakthrough.com. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker with your host, Audra Starkey. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24-7. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about a topic that I'm sure some of our listeners will be able to relate to and that's chronic pain. And we're going to discuss if there's actually a link between sleep deprivation and chronic pain, given lack of sleep forms a huge part of our shift working lifestyle. And I've got someone who knows heaps about this subject, and that's clinical nutritionist and naturopath Ananda Mahoney from here in Brisbane, Australia. Ananda studied human nutrition at a postgraduate level at Deakin University in Melbourne and has also completed a Master's in the Science of Pain Management through Sydney University. She's the Senior Lecturer of Nutritional Medicine at the Endeavour College of Natural Health Campus in Brisbane, where she oversees budding nutritionists and naturopaths like myself as they embark on their new careers. Ananda works extensively with patients who are experiencing chronic pain, which stemmed largely from frustration with her own clients who were not getting good results using standard naturopathic and medical approaches. Her innate curiosity in wanting to learn more and to understand exactly what was causing this pain and how to work more effectively with it has helped position Ananda as one of the leading experts in this field. In her spare time, Ananda can be found pottering in the garden with her poodle, two bantam chooks and native bees, but confesses that growing a thriving veggie patch is definitely not one of her strengths. So to tell us more about sleep deprivation and chronic pain, I'd love to give a warm, healthy shift worker welcome to Ananda. Hi, Audra. Thanks for having me. It's such a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm just laughing because I'm thinking about my poodle and the chooks again. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry, thank you for that uh, that wonderful introduction. I just, I'm still studying. I'm almost finished, but I'm still studying my master's in um, chronic pain. So I just thought I'd, I'd let listeners know that. Oh, okay. Just not quite, not quite finished. When are you due to not finish? Quite there. <laughs> uh, hopefully at the end of 2017. Great. This year, yeah. Yay. So lights at at the end of the tunnel. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's great. Well, 
getting back to your your dogs and your chooks, Ananda, why bantam chooks? Oh, they're rescue chooks. Um, oh, we started okay. out, yeah. We started out with um, three of the Isa Browns. They were from, um, you know, ex-battery hen uh, chooks. Um, that was lovely, but quite traumatic because mm. they were quite old by the time they came to us, and they kept dying, and I got really, really distressed. So oh. in the end, we had a friend who was giving away some bantams, and they don't lay as much; they live up to seven years. And so I was quite excited by that prospect. And they potter around the garden; they're radically free range, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. That- they're lovely. Oh, that's funny. I actually have to confess, I had to even Google bantam chooks because I didn't really know uh, what they, they look like. But some of them are actually really colourful. These are just black, but they have little winged feet. So, so it looks like, oh, um, right. you know, they've got feathered feet. Uh, and so they're quite lovely. They look like they're walking around in chaps. So they're, they're quite funny. <laughs> very cute. Very cute. All right. Well, um, I guess... Um, Ananda, I know that you haven't um, had a lot of exposure to working shift work personally, um, but you have struggled uh, with insomnia in the past, which definitely uh, has similar effects. But before we get into the nitty-gritty of this, um, firstly, I'd love to hear your story. I mean, how did you get started in the field of, of nutrition and naturopathy? Oh, um, yeah, I always had an inclination towards natural health. My mother's an acupuncturist and I think that we were brought up in in the more alternative and complementary health field and way of thinking. So when I um I went to university doing an arts degree and I just you know that petered out and I thought well what do I want to do do with my life you know those big questions yeah. and it's like oh yes I'll do something completely different from my mother I'll make my own mark I'll become a naturopath and that was my big declaration at 21 that I was going to do something you know blaze my own trail um of course very you know fell close to the what is it the apple fall close to the tree or something yeah um, yep. anyway I yeah, so I studied naturopathy and I, I just loved it and I think I've found my uh, calling in that I do really have a bent towards under, wanting to understand and and going down the rabbit hole in terms of research and science but what I love about naturopathy and holistic nutrition is that it's not just that looking at the whole person so that that's how I got into it I did do a little bit of shift work when I was in my late teens and early 20s um, and working in coffee shops and doing the late shift going to three in the morning and then uh, working as a telephone counselor at kids helpline they had an overnight shift but yeah I didn't love it so I (laughs) (laughs) I chose the day shift Truth be told, but, yep. Yeah, truth be told. Sorry to everyone out there, but it's not my forte. <laughs> um, it might have been the work too, you know, cafe work at night, um, that late is, can be a bit rough, mm. but, um, you know, standing on your feet all day, but all night, I should say. Um, but, yeah, I haven't had issue exposure, shift work. But, uh, sorry, back to my journey. Well, I did a lot of different things within the um, naturopathy. I w- went and worked for companies doing product development and then um, had some skin issues in my 20s, so got into organic and holistic skin care and had a practice that was around that. But then I think, as you mentioned at the beginning, I was working with a, a colleague called Emerus Goldsworthy. He's a musculoskeletal therapist. And 
he was sending me patients that had chronic pain issues and um, I was, you know, starting to work with these patients and realising that um, there's a lot we don't know about chronic pain and that is that I wasn't taught in my undergraduate or postgraduate degree and I was feeling a bit lost and uh, fortunately though we were I was working together with Emirates because the other thing that I realised that these patients had been going from practitioner to practitioner both medical and um, you know complementary and they were being they were in treatment silos that they you know they were working with one practitioner or one medico that didn't work so they'd move on to the next one and they didn't get comprehensive care mm. and that's the really the thing that stood out to me. It's like, hey, there's a there's a group of people here who aren't getting the care that they need, and I I can't necessarily do that all. I need to work with other people to get to give them what they need or what I I think they need. And so I started working with Emirates, and then I went on and, and enrolled in the masters, and uh, kind of had my hair blown back a little bit um, because I realized, yeah, I know that, but you know, I realized there's this whole um, area of knowledge that I just and hadn't had access to before and it I know that sounds unusual but we're just not taught it in our undergrad degree and I say that because medicos aren't taught it either it's a specialty and so mm. that's that's what I found out. I'm doing this master's with GPs and anaesthetists because they want to know about this specialty. And that's the part that blew my hair back um, just because, you know, I realised, oh, wow, my eyes got opened up and I realised that it's not that what we were doing was wrong, it's just that we were missing so much. Mm. You know, there was just a huge um, pieces of the puzzle were missing when it came to working with people in chronic pain. So I love it. I mean, I don't love that people are in chronic pain, but I love working in this area because um, there's so much you can do once you realise and start filling in the pieces of the puzzle. Mm. So, yeah, I still find it really interesting and exciting and, um, you know, it's very – some of the aspects are really cutting edge, you know, working with new technologies even. Um, Having said that, the treatment can be quite simple. I don't don't want to make it sound overly complicated, but – the understanding and underneath that treatment can be very, very complex and interactive. So, you know, I find that all interesting. Mm. Yeah, fascinating. I mean, so it sounds like you really, um, you know, are, are getting a, a good appreciation and a good understanding of the whole holistic picture of this because we can, if we're not careful, we can sort of head down a bit of a tunnel view approach and, and miss maybe things that are just blatantly obvious. Would that be right? Yeah. Yes, um, yeah, there's certainly that aspect. But I also think that um, there's some really common myths around about chronic pain. Oh, okay. And, yep. and uh, I mean, I can talk about that a little bit, but probably before I go on and talk about the myths, I'd, I'd want to give it a little bit of a what is chronic pain because um, even just kind of defining that a little bit will help me explain um, and go on and explain a bit further. And I'm not going to get into anything with any great scientific depth, but I do want to give a little bit of a background so when I when I discuss something, your listeners will understand what I'm talking about. Is that okay? Yeah, I'd, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and under, because yeah, pain I guess is very multifactorial. So yeah, please go ahead, give us a, a definition. That'd be great. 
Well, pain itself, is it, that's just a physical and emotional signal of body harm. So it's what we call a need state. And a need state is something like um, hunger or thirst. They motivate behaviour and pain is one of those. It actually motivates behaviour in the sense that if you fell over and hurt your ankle, the pain is a signal to say, stay off your ankle and allow it to repair. Does that make sense? So mm. that, that motivating behaviour. Well, chronic pain is something that persists beyond that expected healing time. Um, um, so if you hurt your ankle you, and it was just a s- simple strain, you'd expect seven days or 10 days and you'd be able to walk on that again and the pain would clear, the ankle would be recovered and the problem but chronic pain goes beyond that expected time. And there is a kind of arbitrary time frame. That's any pain that persists beyond three months. That doesn't have to be constant pain, but, you know, you, you could include migraines in that where people have chronic migraine pain that's mm. persisted beyond that um, normal expected healing time. And it tends to be poorly localised. Once you have chronic pain, you start to see changes in the nervous system and brain and I'll explain those using a Christmas tree analogy in a minute. Um, and that means the pain, whereas with acute pain you can say, oh, the, it hurts here, and you might point to your ankle. Well, chronic pain says the pain changes, the nature of the pain changes. It can, tends to become more diffuse and less localised, and mm. sometimes normal movement or touch will elicit a pain response. So you might brush against that ankle and even though there's no swelling there or anything obvious, it's like, ow, that hurts. Um, So you have these heightened pain responses. And the analogy that I use is that as that of a Christmas tree and I thought that was appropriate given (laughs) you just had Christmas. Um, Like uh, uh, switching on the lights of a Christmas tree, that's what happens when you you hurt yourself. So twist your ankle, the nerves um, in the area light up like a Christmas tree and they send messages to the spinal cord and the brain. They're just messages and the brain makes the decision. It goes, okay, what's happening here? Is this important? And what? how are we going to interpret those messages? It receives that messages those messages, interprets them as pain, and then over time as healing occurs, the lights of the Christmas tree are dimmed down and then turned off. So it's short term, say the 12 days of Christmas, that's how long it took for that. They pack up the Christmas tree, put it away, and that is you know an acute pain experience. What happens when it progresses to uh, prolonged pain is, if you can imagine, you've got that Christmas tree up, but for some reason, and there's so many, but which we can talk about later, touch on later, the nervous system starts to become well maladaptive. It doesn't respond the way that it should and it might add some extra strings of lights. The lights might start to flash and the increased intensity, the dimmer gets broken or you just can't turn it down and the settings are changed. So instead of just being a constant Christmas light, it's flashing, it's changing patterns, there's extra lights, there's extra intensity. The nervous system is really going off and it's sensitising and this changes the way it responds and changes the spinal cord and the brain. So chronic pain goes beyond just a symptom and starts to become a condition in its own right. So here we have a Christmas tree, the lights are left on perhaps all year round, there's more lights, there's brighter lights, there's change patterns of lights and the dimmer's broken. 
medication might dim the lights a bit, but it doesn't turn them off. The mm. lights are so bright you can't sleep very well and they use up heaps of energy. The energy bill is going up, you know, going through the roof. So if there's no energy available for normal activity or exercise or socialising and so you kind of feel tired and exhausted and you don't sleep well. And that is like the picture of chronic pain. It's a Christmas tree where the lights have been left on all year and there's just no dim switch or off switch. When we get into recovery and we start putting into place really, you know, good processes that help with that, you know, a good treatment plan, you see the lights gradually dim down. You never just get a switch and it turns off and it's like, ooh, pain's gone. Mm. But it's a gradual dimming of the lights. You can start to remove some of the extra strands of light and, and reset the pattern and eventually you're able to switch them off, pack up the Christmas tree and put it away for the year. That, that's the kind of analogy that I use to explain the difference between acute and chronic pain because, you know, Chronic pain really is, a, a, you know, oversensitization or overly sensitive nervous system, spinal cord and brain. And it really goes beyond just being a symptom of a disease or a symptom of a condition. Um, and so it gets quite complex. I love that. That was a, that's a beautiful analogy uh, for us visual people, <laughs> Ananda, to, yeah, to sort of understand. So I guess you're almost saying that the chronic pain is a little bit like it's there's a short circuit in the nervous system. Is that would that be right? Yep, yep. Short circuit maladaption. Yeah, things just aren't uh, aren't working as they should. It's almost like the nervous system has just become super sensitive. And we talk about that. I don't know if you've talked about this concept ever before, but of neuroplasticity, how the nervous system isn't set, it changes. And this mm. is a, an example of a, uh, a negative, if you like, a negative change in the nervous system. Fortunately, it is plastic or it is changeable, so you can gradually change it back to, to a state where those brain and spinal cord and nervous system changes can be reversed and we've seen that with they now they do lots of MRIs of brains and and um, of people in chronic pain and say pre and post surgery and they see that the changes that occur to the brain the negative changes that occur to the brain to someone in chronic pain are reversed after surgery say someone who's had a knee reconstructive surgery or a knee replacement you can see those brain changes reverse and the brain goes back to being in a healthy state so it is in, entirely possible, it's not always easy, but it's entirely possible to kind of reverse that nervous system and brain maladaption. Oh, it's, it, yeah, it's, that's in, incredibly pa powerful to, um, yeah, show, it really does show that the human body, body really does, you know, have the ability to, to heal itself. So, yeah, it, it's, yeah, that neuroplasticity is fascinating. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely fascinating. Um, just leading, um, I guess, leading on to my next question um, then, Ananda, I, I guess shift, given shift work is technically um, a form of, dare I say, forced insomnia, you've spoken about how chronic fatigue can lead to that insomnia, but um, now that as shift workers we do, we experience this sort of um, insomnia just because of the, you know, erratic hours um, that we that we work. And, yes, okay, you do have a bit of an appreciation of it, as I've just realised, um, you know, having worked a short time in shift work. But it's just interesting that that in itself, the insomnia can lead to that chronic pain. 
Um, are you able to share with our listeners, you know, how the two conditions are related? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so both chronic pain and, and inadequate or poor sleep have that negative impact on health and well-being. Mm. And there's a, it's really interesting because the relationship between sleep and pain is bidirectional. And mm. I'll explain what I mean. So, for example, I'll just use statistics here because it's really easy. It's like 17 to 90% of people who are in chronic pain have sleep complaints. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And that's often masked by pain medication. Mm, um, of course, yep. So, you know, they'll be on a medication such as pregabalin, which will they'll have at night and it'll help their sleep. And sometimes it'll just help their sleep more than it'll help their pain. But mm. um, So we often see those sleep disorders being masked by the medication. Conversely, though, that 50% of people with insomnia or long-term sleep disturbance who haven't got chronic pain will go on to develop a pain disorder. Now, that might be wow. migraine. Yeah, I know. It, that um, I found really interesting. And so that that's like increasing the risk of migraine, fibromyalgia or chronic musculoskeletal pain um, if you have a long-term sleep disturbance. Mm. So you can really see that with people who have pain as a side effect of an underlying disorder, it coincides with the development of a sleep disturbance. So there's this really clear pattern of that. And both poor sleep and chronic pain share health consequences, and they're such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, and mood, specifically depression. So you see them as the consequences. So not only do you have pain and sleep issues, but then you have an increased risk of developing other health problems. Mm. So, you know, even just partial sleep deprivation or broken sleep, you know, you've, next day you're more likely to have more pain sensitivity or more spontaneous pain. And, um, you know, so that might mean that, you know, the muscles are a little bit tighter or your lower back hurts that little bit more if you have a bad night's sleep or a, or a, a long history of broken sleep, then those things that you might be able to ignore if you'd had a good night's sleep feel more acute and mm. more sensitive the next mm. day. Positive thing, though, is early intervention or even improving sleep can improve pain outcomes. And um, so it, the bidirectional um impact also goes from a treatment perspective. If you improve chronic pain, you'll improve sleep. If you improve sleep, you'll improve chronic pain. So there's the, the positive outtake of that one. Yeah, yeah, de mm. definitely. I can I can definitely relate to when you're sort of saying that that lack of sleep, um, you know, makes us feel a little bit more sensitive to pain. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's um, a really um, interesting point. Um, so, yeah, and, and obviously the uh, you're talking about you know, just briefly then about the mental health um, capacity. I mean, that's that's a whole different podcast again um, uh, with the correlation between that as well. So, yeah, very interesting. Uh, now, I have to say, Ananda, I was having a little bit of a sticky beak on your blog, <laughs> and, yeah. as you do, um, and noticed um, that you recently wrote an article about um, vitamin D. And chronic pain and, and I thought this was really interesting because shift workers are quite um, notorious for having the the low levels of, of vitamin D because of you know what 
the hours that we work, particularly if you're a night shifter, you'll be working through the night, you'll come home and you'll sleep through the day and you've kind of missed um, a lot of that sunshine. But are you able to sort of elaborate um, a little more about the connection between those two? Um, yeah, for sure. The association was first noted um, actually in a, in the Middle East. Um, oh, because where there's plenty of sun, okay, yeah. Plenty of sun, <laughs> but often people um, are covered oh, course, and so there's yeah. less sun exposure mm. and they saw a really strong correlation between women <clears throat> um, and uh, and low back pain. So they said women who didn't had low sun exposure and a, a really strong correlation with low back pain. And it was so strong now that whenever I look at someone who's got low vitamin D status, I'll, I'll ask about, you know, do they experience low back pain or it, it tends to um, show up the pain associated with vitamin D deficiency in the lower limbs or extremities. So it might be in the forearms or um, calves or lower back. So it's um, an interesting pattern. Mm. But that was the first time I saw the research. And then um, so I started to take note of that. But then there's subsequently there's some stronger associations um, between you know low levels of vitamin D and um pain in general and it is one of those screening things that I do it's not always related by any stretch of the imagination but it is something that's so simple to screen for in low back pain and I say non-specific low back pain so it it doesn't have a mechanical cause it wasn't caused by injury or something else yeah yeah um you just screen for that and see okay well let's rule this in or out because it's an obvious cause it's like picking the low-hanging fruit you know you just do that as as part of the um, treatment workup, but I have found generally that uh, there's no real understanding about why the vitamin D might be causing the pain or lower specifically. There's some hypothetical reasons. One might be due to vitamin D's control of the immune system and therefore inflammation. So mm, maybe there's some inflammatory yeah, aspects. Yeah. The other one was about um, um, vitamin D and the relationship between it and magnesium. And um, uh, I can't remember exactly how this one goes, but um, low vitamin D levels influence mag- the way magnesium works in the body and so therefore it might be more of a muscular yep. influence, mm. tighter muscles, that type of thing. But they don't really specifically understand exactly why it happens mm. that was i looked i looked up that um last semester when i was teaching a class to go well what, what's our current understanding of that and that's it at this point in time sometimes we just don't know <laughs> but there is that association and i think it's worth checking particularly for people who are at risk of vitamin d uh, deficiency or even just low levels mm. um, sometimes it doesn't have to be a specific deficiency it can just be low level normal yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating, and it will be interesting. Um, the more research that they do to kind of really understand the mechanisms behind it, um, which yeah, which will be quite um, quite fascinating. I think it's um, you know we we kind of hear or have been sort of told um, by the cancer council, well here in Australia at least anyway. Um, that we're, we're meant to stay out of the sun between 10 and 3. Um, but your research is really suggesting that this is not necessarily 
the ideal situation because we're unable to convert this sun exposure to vitamin D. What's what's your thoughts on this, Ananda, and your you know your kind of recommendations to your patients that do present you know with those low levels? It is a tricky one because in Queensland we do have the highest rates of skin cancer. Um, and uh, we do have to be cautious about the level of the sun exposure that we have. But to yes, you're right. To convert um, sunlight to vitamin D effectively, we need um, the higher what is it? Higher UV rating, and that occurs generally between 11 and 3. But you don't need to stay out in the sun for long. Mm. Um, it depends on your skin tone and colour. But, for example, I'm pale and freckly, <laughs> so, so getting around it. I'm pale um, too. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's five minutes in the sun at that time. And I say you don't stay long enough to start going pink. Yeah. Once you start to go pink, you've been out in the sun for two, in that type of sunlight, in that high UV uh, rating time frame, you've been out too long if you start to go pink. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it, I've had some quite dramatic um, impacts with clients. I remember one client who had uh, chronic lower back pain from a mechanical injury. He fell and hurt his back at 16 and he was 32 when he came to see me. So, you know, half his life he'd had low back pain you know, high medication use, pain medication use and side effects from that. And, you know, he was doing really well in the sense that he was managing his life and eating well and doing all the right things when he came to see me. And it was like, well, what else can we do? And um, the clue came, because you know, sometimes the devil's in the detail, the clue came from the fact that when he went out snorkeling with his brother and he was out in the sun all day long, he felt better. And it's like, well, what's happening? He's floating in the water, he's getting exercise, he's with his friends and family, but it was actually that he just had that longer exposure to the sunlight and he converted more of that into vitamin D. And when we did his vitamin D levels, they were really bottomed out, they were low, low, low. And so we worked on, we had to use supplements to bring them up for him and then he just had to maintain some level of sun exposure, not that whole day in the sun, obviously. Yeah. But um, and that really worked for him. We did some other things as well, but that was um, a bit of a turning point for him. So good, in that case, up. it was really significant. <laughs> yeah, to sort of put, yeah, yeah, well done, sort of for putting two and two together. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Actually, that will. Um, I wonder then if that because I actually stumbled across a, a research paper the other day and. I must admit I haven't read it. It just caught my eye. Um, but it, it was talking a little bit about um, the benefits of forest therapy, believe it or not, on chronic pain. And I think it was a fairly recent research paper about uh, early last year. And, and results showed that there was improvement in psychological and physiological symptoms of chronic widespread pain. Have you heard or read this research at all before, Ananda? I haven't read that specific piece of research, but I have read about, um, you know, the exposure to nature, um, the concept of exposure to nature. And I think they even call it biophilia, which is, you know, being at one with nature and using yeah. nature as therapy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's a really, um, for me, there's, it's, it might be more complex than this, but 
I would say that the impact of being in nature has a positive effect on the mood. And there's no doubt that people who have a positive mood generally, that buffers the impact of chronic pain. So it promotes physical resilience, higher social and mental functioning, mm. and that has a positive effect on pain, particularly when compared to someone who's and has a negative mood or depressed state. There's a really strong relationship between poor sleep, depression and chronic pain and they feed into one another it's constant kind of downward spiral if you can just change one of those things and say if we you know you said okay to this person you're depressed you're in pain and you're sleeping poorly go and do some forest bathing and it lifted their mood that's going to impact on their sleep and their chronic pain so um that's what i would think it would be a, a mood um you know it would work by through changing their mood mm. Maybe it's also a distraction because there's also some research that you know being distracted from thinking about yourself and your pain. If you're out in nature, well, that's a beautiful distraction, I would imagine, and oh, uh, that can also yeah. kind of downregulate pain. Yeah. So long as you don't slip and fall over and <laughs> whilst you're out <laughs> hiking in the bushes. <laughs> But exactly, but yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you also um, mentioned somewhere on your blog uh, about a low laser therapy um, in the treatment of chronic pain as, as well. Mm. Ananda, are you able to explain um, a little bit about this and, and how that works? A little bit. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, no, <laughs> that's that. fine. Yep. Because um, I mentioned that I work with um, a colleague sometimes and Amiris, he does the low-level laser. Low-level laser, my understanding, it works predominantly on reducing inflammation. Now, inflammation can be an aspect of chronic pain. It's not always. But if you've got um, an inflammatory um, condition that's driving the chronic pain, reducing the inflammation will certainly reduce that that um, the lights on the Christmas tree Mm -hmm. uh, or can reduce lights on the Christmas tree. So you can have some really positive effects in that way. It also influences the immune system too, as far as I know. Um, I'm not sure how, so please don't ask me any (laughs) specific (laughs) questions. (laughs) Um, But, you know, so for example, I'm going to be specific then. So if you had someone who had rheumatoid arthritis, which is a really strongly inflammatory autoimmune condition and leads to, you know, significant pain responses, reducing the inflammation using laser in that case would be um, significant. It doesn't always work because inflammation, oh, sorry, it doesn't always work in chronic pain because inflammation isn't always the driver of Mm. the lit up Christmas tree. But where it is, very, very um, positive effects. And interestingly, the the most recent patient who's had really fantastic outcomes with low level laser is um, one of my clients who's got psoriasis. So that's not a chronic pain condition, but it's strongly inflammatory condition. And she's gone from having significant facial psoriasis to none. It's amazing. I loved it. Great, great outcome. Wow. Wow. Yeah, um, I was so excited. Yeah, (laughs) and and unexpected, I'm sure. Yeah, we knew it would have some outcome and help, but we didn't know that it would be as 
beneficial as it has been so I'm just so excited for her yeah because yeah that's actually I've got to um I'll probably ask you uh, talk to a little bit about that um shortly um about psoriasis but yeah well that's that's terrific results because obviously that affects our self-esteem um you know you know with someone like that but um my one other thing too I wanted to talk about um uh Ananda is I guess for us is whilst there's an element of sleep deprivation which shift workers can't change and that's thanks to our crazy um, and erratic rosters we we kind of really need to or I try to focus this with my clients at least anyway is for them to place more of an emphasis on their sleep quality as opposed to the quantity because often that part is out of our control as I said thanks to the crazy rosters Um, are you able to share some tips um, from I guess from a, a nutritional and lifestyle perspective uh, for those patients, um, and I understand that you know this is quite general because it, you know what you do is very patient centered and it depends on you know the, as you said the uh, the cause of the pain, but just some general suggestions um, for our listeners uh, for those who may be struggling with chronic pain on top of their shift work absolutely and there 's a, a little bit of an interesting um, impact of sleep is that even if you have a short amount of sleep, so if you had a four-hour block, that's less impactful than having broken sleep. So bro- so I probably should reword that. Broken sleep has a greater negative effect on pain outcomes than just less sleep. Does that make sense, mm. sense what I'm yeah. saying? Mm-hmm. So if you can have, even if you can get a four- or five-hour block of sleep, even though you're having less sleep than ideal, at least it's not broken and that will be a better outcome. But, um, yeah, I, I do have a, um, some treatment approaches that I use for people who are um, both in chronic pain and having poor sleep. Um, and the first one, and this is pretty straightforward, it sounds straightforward, but it's that aspect of education if you explain to people how chronic pain works from the nervous system and brain perspective, that in itself, and they have a good understanding, that in itself reduces pain and disability, reduces catastrophizing and increases coping skills. I find the same with sleep education and sleep hygiene education. If you explain what you know is you know a good sleeping environment, you know no blue light, a cool dark room, um, using it your bedroom or your bed just for um, you know sleep and in intimacy, um, you know no eating or you know I don't know hanging around. <laughs> I don't know what else you'd do there, but, you know. Play tennis in there or something, yeah. Play, yeah, something like that. Um, those those kind of foundational, it's a bit like foundational nutrition. At the bottom of the you know treatment pyramid, there's education and nutrition. <laughs> so we with sleep and um, pain, that can make a huge impact. So the first thing I do is, you know, just might go into a little bit more depth, but use something like my Christmas tree analogy to explain that. Just because you're in pain, it doesn't mean that you're actually um, causing trauma or re-injuring yourself. The pain is now not related to an injury. It's related to a dysfunctional nervous system. So, you know, just that kind of education helps. Um, I also am big for setting biomedical boundaries. So, as I said, both with insomnia and with chronic pain, there's a lot of medication often involved. And it's like, well... 
you can keep increasing your medication, but how about we take a different route to try and allow you to reduce your medication? So de-prescribing and using management strategies such as mindfulness or mind-body approaches or, you know, nature bathing. That sounds lovely. But um, other techniques that help changing unhelpful beliefs, using mindfulness in ways, other ways of reducing pain intensity rather than relying on medication. Um, I've got a couple here. Connection is um, one that I think about. People who haven't had much sleep and are exhausted and people who are in chronic pain can sometimes withdraw from social connection. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And loss of connection and social isolation hurts Mm. and it hurts physically. And so when you're already in pain or you're tired and you've got, you know, an emotional pain you're experiencing physically on top of that, that's just another layer (laughs) to bring you down. Mm. So reconnecting and maintaining your relationships is an important part of recovering from chronic pain and also, you know, that feelings of exhaustion. You know, you might be exhausted, but connecting with someone, calling them up and having a phone conversation might be just enough to help you lift you that little bit. Um, Activity, I I think movement helps. Again, that's kind of myth-busting the, you know, activity or movement or exercise is causing injury, therefore I can't do it. Now, it depends on the person's level of disability, but movement helps in so many different ways. It reduces inflammation and improves you, your mood. Um, it keeps you fit and reduces the risk of obesity and type 2 diabetes. And it, it has to be appropriate to the person, but you work that out with them or mm. if you don't know, you send them off to an exercise physiologist or something. Um, but, you know, just in for sleep, um, exercising during the day helps with sleep patterns as well too um, so that you're more physically ready to go to bed and have a good night's sleep. Um, then it gets really specific and comes down to the individual. So you, you, I definitely look at nutrition. Um, you know, like many of you, I've had probably a little bit too much Christmas pudding <laughs> Over the festive season, or not specifically Christmas pudding, but you know, you yeah. let, you indulge, I've indulged a little bit, and so for me this week it's kind of okay. It's time to cut out the sugar again, and and um, and I pull back on those really indulgent foods a little bit, just for a little bit of time, and then maybe I can relax a little bit later. But um, it's been really interesting. I've just noticed this week not having any sugar is that my sleep has been so much more improved. And look, I'm not a huge, oh, don't eat sugar, don't, you know, yeah. fruit sugar and things like that. Yeah. But, but it, depending on the individual, it can have a really big impact. And so, that's huge for shift workers because sleep's so important. Yeah. yeah, that's wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, from a, a general perspective, I do say a whole food diet mm. for both chronic pain and and good sleep. It's you know removing oh, removing can be hard. So sometimes I just use the crowding out technique. It's like okay, well maybe you don't have that third cup of coffee. We'll pop in something else instead. <laughs> <laughs> whatever it might be, whatever it is for that individual person. But being you know aware of having a a whole food diet that's just full of good nutrition. This is so vague. I feel like I'm not actually imparting any benefit when I say this, but 
you know as well as I do, Audra, that good nutrition is the foundation and that just if you start with that, you can make enough of an inroads into someone's health that they can then start to make changes for themselves. Um, so I think that's good nutrition is a very powerful part of um, both healing with chronic pain but also um, good sleep. Oh, I think you've um, made sleep patterns. Yeah, I think you've made some fantastic suggestions there. And under and the thing is, um, as I said, like this this lack of sleep is our Achilles heel, um, and it just has this uh, snowball or flow on effect where we become you know too tired to exercise and do any movement. We tend to not connect with people. Um, it can be quite a lonely life for some people if um, because. You know, we can't catch up with our normal nine to five um, cousins, as I like to as I like to call them. Um, you know, the yeah. Friday, Saturday night. So, if we're not careful, we can we can fall into that bit of a trap of loneliness, and that's why uh, I, I tend to sort of recommend. You know, well, who what's happening in your workplace? You know, catch up with the you know some of your workmates, maybe you know that you that you enjoy being around. That's at least keeping some kind of connection. But out of the workplace, do uh, you touching on about the the sugar? I mean, that's that's huge um, given mm-hmm. the, the influence that it does have on sleep. And again, because we, we fall in this trap, we're just so continually tired and exhausted all the time. Eating, eating, and I'll be the first to admit it, I mean, I spent 20 years working it, you know, eating can go out the door. Um, you know, we, you, you, the temptation to just, you know, reach for a takeaway, you know, have the processed foods, um, you know, anything that's easy, um, you know, it, it it's um it, it's just it's it is a it's a very uh, a big trap that we can fall down. So I think by just making the little changes, as you said, um, not too overwhelming. If you if you were to tell a shift worker to stop drinking coffee, they'd probably just stand yeah. up and walk out the door. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but it's just that that sort of gentle, steady, um, steady, steady approach. So no, you know, lots of lots of gold there. Um, um, another question that I just wanted uh, to touch on, actually, it's going to be my second last one, um, because I know okay. uh, that your uh, other specialties is in skincare um, and under, and you already just mentioned that before, um, you know, particularly with managing conditions such as psoriasis, which is interesting um, because stress can be one of the drivers behind this condition. And the reason I ask is that unbeknownst to many shift workers, our bodies are technically biologically stressed, and that's even before we've set foot into a stressful workplace um, and this is because of our ongoing disruption to our sleep-wake cycles or our circadian rhythms. Are you able to expand on the link between stress and psoriasis? Because I remember seeing quite a few of my clients um, that came into clinic who were all shift workers who presented with psoriasis. Yes. um, Okay. It can – I don't get too complex because – the so psoriasis just is an autoimmune and it's I call it autoinflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, the set point for someone with psoriasis inflammation level is much higher than average, mm-hmm. um, and we have as part of our um, I guess stress response we have ways of dampening down excess inflammation in the body, and when uh, people are in chronic stress, 
um, for longer periods of time or even if they have an acute but very big trauma, that can fundamentally impact on the way our body deals with stress Mm. but also the way our body deals with inflammation. And so we have someone who's in chronic stress and who has excess inflammation, then they have less ability to dampen down the inflammation in their body. Um, that's, a, I guess, looking at the HPA axis, which yeah. I know that's just terminology, hyperpituitary um, adrenal axis, which is part of our normal stress responses. Mm-hmm. And that, I guess, if you like, becomes maladaptive again under, mm-hmm. the, under chronic stress. Mm-hmm. And so when that's maladaptive, well, then... Um, our bodies, it impacts on our immune system and psoriasis is an autoimmune condition. So it's more likely to allow those autoimmune processes to go unchecked and even to allow them to progress further because the immune system is not being well regulated by the stress response. You know, the interplay between the immune system and the stress response is is not a happy one. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, getting very technical. <laughs> not a happy one. <laughs> Uh, Stress impacts on our gut. Um, Our gut has a big, and the the microbiome in our gut has a big impact on, again, our immune system, but also on our skin and the environment of the skin. And with a, you know, a a gut that's where you might have an imbalanced gut microbiome, that that will have flow-on effects to how, um, you know, psoriasis expresses itself too and the severity to which it expresses itself. And even foods can be a stress. Now, that mm. might be a stress on a particular organ, mm. but with psoriasis you have food triggers that just flare up inflammation and the body just cannot with hand, with hand, you know, with handle the stress of that, mm. if you like. Mm. Um, kind of some roundabout ways of talking about stress there but you know there's a really strong relationship between chronic stress and psoriasis and what often happens is that someone who's got psoriasis or if it's in remission they'll have a, a, a you know a stressful situation and the psoriasis won't flare up straight away but it'll flare up up to later so it actually can be hard quite hard to pinpoint exactly what the trigger was for that flare-up and you kind of have to do some historical, have take a historical look at their stress responses to see whether stress was a factor in this particular flare of their psoriasis. Mm. Sorry, you just uh, dropped out then, Ananda, with the, when you said the time, like from when, what was the time I'm that you said? It can, uh, so the flare-up post-stress can yep. occur up to a month later. Oh, a month, right, okay. Yeah, sorry yep. about that. Yeah. Yeah, so it can be quite hard to track whether mm. stress was a significant um, factor mm. in the flare-up of the psoriasis. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, again, it's, it's fascinating because, I mean, big picture here, as I mentioned before, shift workers really are under that continual biological stress. Um, we're, we, we are for the majority of our time are in that continual fight or flight sympathetic dominance mode uh, because we're doing everything backwards to what our body is supposed to be doing Um, and you know even just the alarm clock going off at three in the morning can give us that stress response but being up continually having to be up and awake and and even during through the night is just is putting a lot of um, unwanted stress on the body as well. But again, that's where I'm very much I, I 
with my the patients, I try um, to reiterate the importance, as I'm sure you do, on finding ways to help calm that nervous system down and instead of the maybe instead of replacing that high intensity exercise maybe just go off and doing um some go what was the one that you mentioned go jing or go um or tai chi or um restorative yoga or something like that as as a as a, a therapy uh, or one one part of the puzzle at least to help so yeah yeah absolutely Interesting. Well, we're just about to wrap up um, the podcast, uh, Ananda, um, but I'm going to go off topic slightly um, because this is a question that I always like to ask my guests um, because I am a bit of a mad traveller. But I would love to know uh, where your favourite holiday destination is and why. Oh, wow. Um, I haven't been anywhere in ages. <laughs> I mean, okay. No, that's not true. Five years ago, um, somewhere exotic, somewhere that it doesn't even it can be even local as well, just somewhere that kind of left a little bit of an impact. Yeah, I particularly I haven't been overseas in in quite a while. I am planning a trip to Italy this year, which I'm terribly oh, excited about. Wow. Um, wow. So I anticipate that will be one of my favourite destinations <laughs> soon before you've even gone. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> But in the last five years, the, the kind of travel I've done has been to holiday destinations has been to northern New South Wales and to the beaches there. And I just love going to the beach. In terms of nature bathing, that's the, the, the type of nature that I love to go and spend time at the beach um, and just, I don't know, float around in the, in the waves. So it's n- not very exotic, I'm afraid, but it is a place of kind of nurture for me, is being at the beach. Mm. So I just love it. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. It, it it's also sounds like maybe some of these kind of more hippie locations. So are we talking about nudie beaches, Ananda? <laughs> no, I don't think I've ever been to a nudie beach. <laughs> no. I float around. I have to wear a rashie. I've got pale skin. I float around looking, <laughs> uh, you know, in a full uh, ra- um, rashie and my swimmers. So. <laughs> Oh, and, and somewhere uh, where you've got to take your dog, obviously, as well. So, yeah, that wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah, I do go to a beach called Patches Beach south of Ballina, which is a okay. big dog beach, and yeah. there's um, often horses down on the beach. It's just beautiful, wow. and it's just miles of uninterrupted surf. So that's lovely. Wow. I'll have I'm to sure look. I could get my gear off there if I wanted to, but <laughs> I just haven't. <laughs> but just warn everyone in advance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, yeah, that sounds like a great spot. Yeah, really, really, really nice spot. Well, look, this has been so much fun uh, chatting with you, Ananda. Where can people find um, find you uh, to learn more about your practice and, and some of the services that you offer? Because I'm sure there's uh, probably, uh, you know, a handful of people listening to this audience that, you know, live in Brisbane or maybe even further um, that can relate to this uh, chronic pain um, that we've been talking about. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so I have a pain management program and that you can find out details about that at my website, which is my name, Ananda Mani. Um, I probably spell that. It's A-N-A-N-D-A-M-A-H-O-N-Y dot com dot A-U. Um, yeah. So please feel free to come and have a look the way I work. And, you know, there's no, sign up for six months or anything like that. It's just on an ads-needed ads basis. But we do really go through, you know, all of those factors that I talked about and address them as needed for the individual and their presentation. 
Yeah, so thank you for asking. Well, it sounds like a, a lot of um, great resources um, to be had there. So, yeah, wonderful. And I've just realised that I've probably been pronouncing your surname wrong all these years. <laughs> I thought it was Mahoney. <laughs> it is pronounced that way often. It's actually Marnie. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> I learned something new about you again today. <laughs> Well, look, thank you so very much for joining me um, today, Ananda. It feels a little surreal, to be honest, um, given that I'm sitting here interviewing my former senior lecturer, um, but it has been heaps of fun. Um, I've learnt a lot, as I'm sure our listeners have too. So thank you once again for, for sharing your naturopathic and, and nutritional wisdom on all things to do with sleep uh, deprivation and chronic pain. Thank you so much for having me. And once again, congratulations, because you now are a fully-fledged holistic nutritionist, and I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That, that right. does mean that means a lot. Well, that's it for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback, and there are many ways you can do this via my page at The Healthy Shift Worker through my website, healthyshiftworker.com, or you can visit The Wellness Couch at thewellnesscouch.com and leave a comment there. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit, or you can leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, which will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organizations all around the world. If you'd like access to more free resources, Sources, including my newsletter, just visit my website healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be despite working 24-7. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.